Chapter One of From Mud to Mufti. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. From Mud to Mufti with Old Bill on All Fronts by Bruce Bairn's Father. Chapter One Begins in Hospital. A Surprise Visit. I Find Myself in Request. Those who have endured bullets and billets and have possessed sufficient mental control and iron determination to finish the last chapter will remember that, subsequently to being wafted out of the Second Battle of Ypres by a Johnson, I was in due course deposited in a London hospital. This was a large building, one of the finest hospitals in London, I should say. One of those Olympic palaces with endless stone corridors, lifts, rice puddings, and temperature charts but what a harbor of refuge it seemed. I really think it is quite worth while going through an offensive in order to get that marvelous feeling of rest, security, and the good will of human beings which comes slowly over you on admission to one of our British hospitals. After months of saturation in all the excessively masculine and harsh ways of war, to recline in a comfortable bed and watch a nurse moving towards you across a carpet, with nothing more dangerous than a thermometer or a tonic, one feels that the world is a nice, kind thing after all. Those marvelous hospitals, day after day, week after week, month after month, thousands of new cases come in, and yet the staff turn on an enthusiastic and cheery welcome each time with unfailing regularity. One feels that one is the first and only case with which they have had to do. It's the same in all our hospitals, and I've had experience of one or two. I was pretty rotten for some little time and had to put up with those well-known long and weary days in bed. Days when you look forward to the doctor's visit on his rounds, after which you spend the rest of the time watching the daylight fading into the evening, and then wait for the night nurse to come and take that confounded temperature of yours again prior to wishing you good night. During these days my mind seemed to be going all through the war again, from the day I began. All the varied scenes and episodes I had been in, in which I had taken part, culminating in that big bother at Ypres. All those thoughts went surging through my mind, tumbling and tossing about in fantastic profusion. I rushed into the salient and fired machine guns into writhing hateful masses of Boches about twice nightly, in my dreams. I think everyone who gets knocked out knows this sensation of fighting one's battles over again. It's just like one of those long perforated paper rolls used in pianolas. You have the tune first, rewind, and then have it all over again. I wasn't allowed to see strangers for some time. Only my mother was allowed to be with me, and she read to me and brought me things. At last came the time when I was pronounced distinctly better. It was no longer necessary to have that Y-shaped tube thing of the doctor's groping its way through my pajama jacket to listen to my heart. Everything seemed brighter, and I was immersed in one enormous, enthusiastic desire to go out and see the world again. Not a sandbag, shell, and corrugated iron world, but to go out and roam at ease midst all the soft and comfortable things of peace and security. At the front one feels it's one's business not to live but to die. And here I was, after an intervening mystical period of repairs in a hospital, entitled to go forth and place a greater importance on living than on dying. Result? 
a vast sparkling joy in life and all the things that go with it but one's ideas about recovery are always in advance of the hospital's views on the same subject i had to remain there in spite of my daily protest i'm all right now doctor at this time as i mentioned in bullets and billets i had done only a few sketches the first fragments had gone in and been accepted my ypres affair and subsequent hospital had temporarily knocked out drawing desires but now as i revived a torrent of ideas came pouring into my head and i started off again my mother brought me a sketchbook and in it i weaved a series of rough drawings depicting various scenes painful at the time yet humorous to look back on incidents in fact of the last few months yet the continuation of fragments from france was not for a moment in my mind the wealth resulting on my first few drawings was perhaps not such as would create a wild desire to send up more but now a certain day arrived i was beginning to be allowed to see people and one morning i was told that a gentleman had called to see me he sent up his card with the announcement that he was a representative of the bystander i was glad i knew this as his make-up was an undertaker to the life and i should have undoubtedly thought that the doctor had been lying about my recovery a young man of about thirty summers as the novelists say entered the room he placed his funereal bowler and umbrella on a table and advanced to my bed i shot out a tattooed arm from under the red blanket and shook hands the bystander presented its compliments and hoped i was better after which my visitor informed me that the bystander had had applications for the originals of the drawings I had so far sent up, and also complimentary letters. Finally, the bystander would be pleased to see any other drawings I might do. I pointed out that I was, at that moment, closed for structural alterations, but on reopening would see what I could manage. The mournful one left. I recoiled into my red blanket and grinned into the pillow. I then sat up and grinned at the room, at my mother, at the bunch of grapes, and the temperature chart. Well, I'm damned. Fancy them wanting some more drawings. A great enthusiasm got hold of me. I should have wanted a mental tennis racket to fence off the ideas which hurtled into my mind. Just wait till I get out of here, I said to myself. And in the next few days I got out of there, and went home to convalesce, and think. End of chapter 1. Recording by Philip Gould.